Imogen from Squarepeg. I'm back and with some good news. We have loved sharing the stories of our founders over the last few months and so we're greenlighting another batch of conversations which will land in the new year. It'll feature some of the most extraordinary founders we've met so if there's a founder you have in mind that you'd like me to pop in front of the mic please let me know. In fact, besides today's episode, I have one more cracker up my sleeve for you this year, and I can confidently say it will change the way you think about something pretty fundamental in your life. So if you haven't already, tap subscribe. But on to today's episode, which is going to be an unusual one, because something big just happened for us at SquarePeg. As many of you know, our purpose is to empower the exceptional. It's a concept that we hold ourselves to in a really deliberate and considered way, and one that we apply to all facets of our business as a venture firm, whether that's how we team as colleagues, or work with founders, or engage our investors. We even apply it in the day-to-day works when we're helping a founder hire, or build their go-to-market, or fundraise, or even just rolling out a new event. The ultimate assessment for us is, will this or won't this empower the most exceptional founders? We've been doing this work as a team for eight years, and over that time, we've been fortunate to invest in some extraordinary founders building companies such as Airwallex, Fiverr, Canva, and many, many more. And this is something that gives us endless joy and energy. But foundational to our ability to do this work is capital the funds that we have at our disposal to invest in the most exceptional founders and in really exciting news for us and also the ecosystems we work within is we've just raised our fourth generation of funds, a $600 million pool of capital or $450 million US to invest in founders at the beginning of their journey and then across their life. And so today I'm bringing you something a little bit different. It's a conversation with my wonderful colleagues, Because while on this podcast, we've spent a long time talking with founders who've built companies within our investment focus areas of Australia, New Zealand, Israel, and Southeast Asia, why we chose to build a global fund with local teams in these regions. And admittedly, it's a pretty unusual investment strategy. Across the board, the first questions we get when we explain where we invest is why? And so if you're a curious soul who wants to understand more about what makes these regions so vibrant, today you'll meet Leela Lee, the head of distribution, Paul Bassett, Dan Krasnestein, and Tushar Roy, partners for each region. I'm going to start with Tushar, one of our partners in Singapore. Tush has led investments recently into companies such as Dashaway, Q Control, Amber, and Phoenixel. He's going to give us the 101 on the Southeast Asian region. So Southeast Asia as a region is defined by tremendous economic growth over the past few years. It comprises some of the powerhouse economies of the present and of the future, like Singapore and Indonesia, which are also home to millions and millions of people. And what's really exciting and interesting about the region are the demographics of those population. We're talking here about some of the youngest groups of people in the world. In some countries, more than half the people are under the age of 30, which represents a a tremendous opportunity for technology. These people are young, they're hyper-connected, even in the most rural areas, many of them have smartphones. Smartphone penetration is extremely high in the region, and they're just leapfrogging the rest of the world in the, the way that they use technology. And what we see as a result of that is a fundamentally different way that people access services than they do in developed markets. So I'll give you some examples. In the region, the ride-hailing app of choice, one of the leading ride-hailing apps, Grab, is not just 
the equivalent of Uber in developed markets, but it's also your digital wallet. And soon there'll be a bank in Singapore. So they'll try to bank the customer as well, which is something you just don't see happening in, in more developed economies. WhatsApp in the region is not just for messaging. It's actually one of the key platforms on which small businesses operate. WhatsApp is the CRM for the business. It's an automated messaging platform, and soon it'll accept payments as well. So what we're seeing in the whole economic region is this rise of the micro-entrepreneur, rise of business, rise of the connected consumer, and the way that they're using devices, using technology is just fundamentally different to the way that they use it in, in developed markets. But it's also not uh, a homogenous region. There's a tremendous disparity and inequality in, in access around countries and even within countries. So Myanmar or Cambodia are very different to Singapore, obviously. But even within a country like Indonesia, Jakarta is a completely different place to places like Aceh, uh, which are more regional, both in the, in, the, in the cultural makeup, but also the economic makeup. So it's a tough region to navigate and it still presents a lot of challenges to businesses that are looking to scale. But as a region, it punches very, very strongly. Some people don't realize this, but the GDP per capita of, of the ASEAN region is greater than of India and it's growing much faster. And also, if you think about where it's positioned on the map, you, you, you'll see that it's very strategically positioned geographically. It's within proximity to India, to China, also not so too far from Japan and South Korea. And increasingly, it's, it's within the spotlight as a go-to region for economic growth, um, both of itself and also for, for companies that are operating in those adjacent regions. And in addition to the physical and demographic characteristics of the region, what's turning Southeast Asia into the most exciting up-and-coming tech ecosystem in the world is that ambitions, tech infrastructure, and capital are all increasing at a rapid rate. I'll let Tush explain. So the, the Southeast Asian ecosystem is still a young and relatively nascent ecosystem. Certainly when we compare it to other ecosystems in which we operate, like Israel, it's, it's still early in its journey. The really exciting thing about it is, is the, the growth trajectory. As VC investors will tell you, it's not just about the, the length of the, of the curve, but also the gradient of the curve. And, and, and the gradient of the curve is, is going up very, very steeply in Southeast Asia. The regional venture capital landscape really took shape in Singapore seven or eight years ago when the government really had the foresight to recognize the important role that technology and the knowledge economy was going to play for the region over a span of the next hundred years. And, and it seeded a number of venture capital funds. Those funds then invested in technology companies across the region, but initially and mainly in Singapore. And the profile of the founders also used to skew a lot more from those that are from outside the region than from within it. I think, you know, starting tech companies is not something that, that was sort of fashionable or de rigueur for, for, for the local community initially, um, but that's certainly changing very quickly now. So a lot of the founders used to be from outside the region, which if nothing else, exemplified the very fertile soil that places like Singapore provided to even give them the option and the opportunity to do that. But there was still a lack of capital at all stages to support the businesses as they grew, and there still is a lack of capital overall. Seed stage and Series A stage have been growing and have come to scale quicker. Later stage funding, Series B and beyond, lacked scale over the last few years and still continues to lack scale. But again, as I said, all of this is changing very, very quickly. The ecosystem I see today is very different to the one I saw five years ago. It looks vastly different. The sheer variety of funds is, is one example. Early on, it was a few funds mainly domiciled in Singapore and operating regionally. Now we have this amazing tapestry of funds that are built within economies, for those economies. So Indonesia-focused funds, Vietnam-focused funds. You also have the emergence of corporate venture capital taking a more serious role in the ecosystem. 
And also what's changing alongside that is that the archetype of the average founder is changing. We're seeing a really interesting and exciting evolution in the types of businesses that we see in the region. If you rewind the clock five years ago, the vast majority of, of tech companies that we saw were building, building within the region and for the region. That still continues to be the case and still defines the majority of companies we see today. But we're seeing an increasing number of companies that are building from within the region for the world. And a great example of that is Neuron Mobility, which is a, a micromobility company that is headquartered in Singapore, but is, is providing its micromobility fleets and operating them in places like Australia, New Zealand, the UK, and soon to launch a few other exciting markets. And that's a really exciting thing for, for me to see as an investor. Any vibrant tech ecosystem has virtuous loops. And like the economies in which these loops are forming, these loops are forming very, very quickly and faster than in many other regions. What I mean by that is in, in, in most of the developed tech ecosystems in the world, you have this loop where you have successful tech entrepreneurs and scale tech companies that have sort of been a beacon to others to do what, what's been done. Atlassian is a great example in Australia. There's many examples in the US and many examples in Israel. And people from those companies then leave those companies and start other businesses. And talent from those companies spins out of those companies to start businesses. And that, that pump, if you can prime it with some venture capital, really causes the growth of, of those ecosystems and the economies. And what we're seeing now in Southeast Asia is the first turn of that loop as people spin out of really scale tech companies like Grab and C Group to start their own businesses, having learned how to scale companies within these other companies. So that's, that's what we're now seeing are many more of these companies taking shape in the region. And that's really, really exciting. And certainly the other, other major change is that the, the major tech conglomerates have now well and truly arrived. So and Financial is setting up base in Singapore. ByteDance has an HQ, HQ in Singapore. And what that's leading to is just a greater focus on technology and technology businesses as, as viable career paths for young people. But it's also causing a war on talent. You know, these companies are built and won, and the battle is won on talent. And that war is, is certainly heating up in the region. And the region now overall is therefore even more in a strategic spotlight for late stage investment and also for M&A from both within the region and outside the region. And as Tusha and I were talking, it was obvious that the role we've played as a fund in Southeast Asia is changing. SquarePeg has been quietly learning about the region and investing in it for the last six years, which is a fact that surprises many people. From our base in Australia, we've been spending an increasing amount of time and attention on, on Southeast Asia. Personally, uh, a lot of my time over the last six years has been spent learning the region, building relationships in the region, understanding deeply how it operates, uh, and also deploying capital and supporting some great founders. We've deployed well over 100 million US into the region. And I'm proud to say that we've also achieved what many think is not really easy or possible in the region, which is delivering capital back to investors from the region. We've been working from outside in the past to help grow the ecosystem, primarily by backing some great teams that augment that virtuous loop that I was talking about and help grow the economies in which they operate, but also by, by focusing on, on an investing stage where that we felt there was still a major gap, which was Series B and above. So most of our investments to date have been at Series B or up in the region. I think that's going to change a little bit as we, as we lay down sort of more, more permanent roots in the region. But what we have at the end of 2020, which has been a pretty challenging year for the world, is, is, is an amazing, amazing set of founders that are square peg founders. And I'm very proud to call them square peg founders. We have companies like Property Guru that are on a mission to help people connect to their forever homes. We have companies like Doctor Anywhere, where Wyman is building a digital health network across the region that solves fairly acute problems of health access. 
And we have companies like Finexcel, which are literally bringing credit to a nation by using technology and data to provide credit to people where it wasn't possible before. And, and, and as, as any macroeconomic or econometrician will tell you, it's really the availability and consumption of credit that drives growth of economy. So that's a really, really exciting business. Tush is Singapore-based, as I mentioned, but until earlier this year, he was actually in Sydney. We historically covered the region remotely, you see, but that's no longer the case at all. 2021 will see us really doubling down on the region. We have spent a lot of time covering the region fly in, fly out. That model has reached its scale. I think we see such tremendous opportunity in the region and we think it justifies having permanent boots on the ground. So we spent a lot of time and energy over 2020 building out the right team, the right footprint to take, take this strategy forward. I've personally relocated to Singapore in the middle of the year and have made a really long-term commitment to the region. Moving in the middle of COVID with my family was not the most fun thing to do, but I'm just so passionate and excited about what, what we can do here. Uh, we've built out an amazing team despite the challenges of doing a lot of recruiting virtually and not being able to move around the region. We're ending the year with an amazing team in place to take things forward in 2021. Pirize Sabunchu has joined me as a partner in, in the newly established Singapore office. She has an amazing track record and heritage in the region, helping to scale a tech company. She's ex-Stripe and she took Stripe from being employee number one to more than 100 people in the team. Uh, and she brings a real depth of experience in the region that can also help our portfolio founders scale their companies. Ed Barker has moved across from Sydney to join me in the Singapore office. And Ed is equally, if not more passionate about the potential of the region and is out there meeting founders all day, all evening, and, and is super excited. Paula Elsby has joined us as an office manager, and she brings so much experience of working with regional tech companies and has really helped us hit the ground running. So we are really, as a team, very excited about what the next few years holds for, for us in Southeast Asia. We will continue to back great founders and we'll continue to really challenge ourselves in the types of businesses that we back. So that's Southeast Asia in a nutshell. It's new and vibrant and we are excited to be a more permanent feature of the local startup scene with boots on the ground. And I wanted to contrast this with our experience in an ecosystem which sits at the other end of the maturity scale from Southeast Asia with a conversation with Dan. Dan has recently led investments into companies such as ADOC, which is helping radiologists and transforming patient outcomes through AI. And he gave us the background on Israel. The, the culture of Israelis generally is, is one of entrepreneurship. I mean, the, the country is very young, only established 70 odd years ago and, and really was established by entrepreneurs in, in a way. You had people coming to nothing but desert uh, and, and had, to, had to sort of build, build from there. And so it, it's, been a, it's been a country that's sort of born out of entrepreneurship and innovation. Uh, you sort of add to that the complexities of the market. You've got no, no natural trading borders a bunch of borders and surrounded by people that, that don't really want, you know, don't really want the people there. And so the, the country has had to innovate to survive essentially from day one. That's permeated through the, through the people for generations. And then once, if you add to that things like mandatory military service, which is an amazing breeding ground for sort of technological skills, but not just technological skills, also leadership. It gives the, gives the people these amazing networks where they can, those that go to build their businesses can automatically plug into a bunch of people they know that they can trust and work with to, to build out their teams. And so there, there are lots and lots of elements that have contributed to what has made Israel what it is today. It's not just those elements. You've got amazing technical um, 
universities, the whole technology ecosystem, I guess, has been developing for 30 plus years, which has led to an amazing number of incubators and accelerators. Uh, you've got huge number of multinationals. Basically, every large major multinational has significant operations in, in Israel. Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, the, the list goes on. And the, the depth of the market has come together to allow, give a platform for these amazingly talented technical entrepreneurs to go and build really large businesses. I think the thing that's been really exciting, perhaps most, most exciting from, from an investor perspective and from an entrepreneurial perspective is how that, how that market has shifted over probably the last 10 to 15 years. And I think if you look back at Israel at the start of the 2000s, very much deep technological expertise, but not necessarily great business building capabilities. And so you had in areas particularly around telco, cybersecurity, semiconductor and chips, they were sort of the three things Israel did very well and were sort of pegged at. But still, they built amazing technology, but didn't always turn those into large businesses. They'd sell the technology to bigger players overseas, and then the entrepreneurs would go and start again and build great technology and sell that technology and rinse and repeat. And there's been a sort of a shift in mindset, which is a collective amongst entrepreneurs wanting to build larger businesses, having support from investors to keep investing and keep the companies private and allow them to go on and build larger businesses. And two things have changed as a result. One of those is we've seen a, a massive broadening in the types of businesses being built out of Israel. Fiverr, again, is a, is a great example of that, an, an SMB business. You've got businesses like Lemonade in, in Insurance, Monday.com. Um, these, are, these are businesses that just Israel weren't known, weren't known for 10 or 15 years ago. And there's literally now just not, there is not a single industry where Israel doesn't have uh, great capabilities, great entrepreneurs trying to tackle the problems, whether that's healthcare, broadly AI, automotive, uh, fintech, consumer, SMB, enterprise, really it's across the board um, that, that where Israel has developed expertise. And the other thing that's changed is, is, as I was talking about before, that ability to go and build really large businesses. So the, the number of multi-billion dollar businesses in Israel today has gone up, you know, an order of magnitude from even five years ago. Uh, the number of financing rounds of 50 and $100 million, which just didn't exist a long time ago, are now, are now fairly common amongst Israeli businesses. And there's this huge pipeline of, of really strong, growing, large businesses above that billion, $2 billion, $3 billion range uh, that are coming down that, that, that we're going to see emerge over the next five years, which is incredibly exciting. And it was into this magical environment that we stepped over six years ago when Dan and his family moved over to start the Tel Aviv office. The Tel Aviv office, by the way, is on beautiful Rothschild Avenue in downtown Tel Aviv. And if you're in the neighborhood, I recommend popping in. We have the world's best balcony. We started talking about investing in Israel in, in 2014. And really at a high level, there were sort of two driving factors for that. One was this incredibly large and exciting ecosystem of entrepreneurs building really world-class technologies and turning them into, into world-leading businesses. And, and we wanted to see you know, how we could get access to that. And the second part was believing that we could carve out a position for ourselves where we were a meaningful part of that ecosystem, which was a combination of the capital we brought to the table, the ability to invest across multiple stages, and the, and the skill set and broad skill set of the team. And so I think if you sort of touch on the first one, which is sort of the size of the opportunity in Israel, it's often misunderstood just how large the Israeli tech ecosystem is on an absolute basis. 
but then particularly on a relative basis and how important it is to the Israeli economy at large is really quite staggering. So just some sort of very high level numbers, you know, the average amount invested into Israeli tech businesses is somewhere around eight, nine, 10, 11, $12 billion a year on a per capita basis that is daylights ahead of just about every other country in the world. Most, most startups per capita in the world, most amount of expenditure on R&D per capita in the world. I think last year, 2019, was a record year for the number of exits in Israel, something around $20 billion of exits. Uh, so it's this incredibly large business on, a, on an absolute scale, as I mentioned. But then if you think about the importance to the Israeli economy, you've got roughly or a little over 50% of the exports of Israeli exports are from high tech and life sciences. You've got 10% of the workforce employed in high tech and that contributes to about 15% of uh, GDP. So you've, I mean, you just can't underestimate how important it is to everyone. Everyone in the country knows about what's going on in the tech ecosystem, who's building what businesses, who's raised money, who's exiting, who's IPOing. And so you've got this incredibly exciting ecosystem to be part of. And I think the, the second part where we said, you know, we can land there and be a, a large part of the market was probably based on a, a, a few things. When we arrived, which was six years ago, I would say there was a very, very large angel and seed network, maybe some, a, a few players doing series A and not a lot of investors sort of doing A plus and, and, and B rounds or, or the growth rounds. And at, you know, at the time we were doing a lot of A and, a, a and B round investing. And so it was sort of our hypothesis was we can land here, we can write decent sized checks, we can support the, the angel and seed investors that exist in the market, be very good partners for them and support their companies as, as they grow without those companies having to look to offshore capital. And I would say, by and large, a number of our hypotheses have sort of proven to be correct. One is just the size of the market. That's sort of un undoubtedly true. And the second is that we could, we could become a, a large part of that ecosystem. So if I look back on our, our six years so far in Israel, it's been, it's been really successful for us. Over that time, we've invested over $170 million into 12 or 13 portfolio companies. And, and so that sort of makes us quite a significant player in, in the market. Some of those portfolio companies uh, include Fiverr, which is a marketplace for digital services. That, that business we first invested in 2015, they went public last year, uh, and today, you know, are valued at, at, at north of $7 billion. So it's been an incredible success, not just in the Israeli ecosystem, but on, but on a global scale, a really sort of globally, globally relevant and important business. Other companies, and you know, these things are hard to pick your, it's like picking your favorite children, but other great companies in Israel include Climacell, completely changing weather forecasting and weather related insights, ADOC, which is AI for the radiology industry, completely revolutionizing how the radiology industry works and delivering much better and faster patient outcomes and a raft of businesses that really sort of touch on, I guess, the broad nature of the Israeli ecosystem. One of the other big changes in Israel is also a big change for the Australian team because Philippe, one of our partners, has moved back to Israel and Dan has moved back to Australia. And we're so thrilled to have him back in the country and know his experience scaling companies from Israel will be directly helpful for companies here. To start with, we've got Philippe Schwartz. Philippe's been a partner with SquarePeg for the last five years, long career uh, as an entrepreneur, running a few businesses, selling some along the way. Originally based in Boston, there's a very clear link from Israeli entrepreneurs wanting to move into the, into the US and he played that link, uh, supporting our Israeli companies moving over there and, 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 and helping them scale their organizations there. He has made the move back to Israel to be boots on the ground 
uh, earlier this year. As well as Philippe, we've, we've recently made two new hires to the team. Uh, one is Jonathan Seller, who's joined us as a principal. Jonathan's also an entrepreneur. He's led multiple VC-backed businesses, particularly in the area of, of crypto, uh, as well as spending time in the US, both on the investor side and entrepreneur. As well as Jonathan, we've got Oli Amir, who's joined as a senior associate, and Oli's got phenomenal skills as a software developer. Um, she was spent time at Google uh, before moving to Riskified, which is a, an Israeli-based business in, in the US office, and she'd recently moved back to, back to Israel and, and has joined us over the last few months. So with the new team together, we feel really excited about um, what, we can, what we can continue to invest in, in Israel and, 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 and be a significant part of that ecosystem. Which brings us to Paul, one of our co-founders and partners in, in Australia, who has recently led investments into companies such as Healthmatch, Athena and Zella. We've seen a really enormous change with the technology ecosystem in Australia, you know, really since we started in, in 2012. If you think about the tech ecosystem in Australia really that time, certainly we had produced a good number of great companies. A lot of those companies, it turned out, had either been bootstrapped, so with no venture capital funding or, or received funding from other parties, not local VC funds. But we were producing a, a good number of, of strong tech companies. But the rate of generation of amazing, high growth, globally leading tech companies in Australia has sort of exploded in the last sort of seven or eight years. And so companies like Canva, and Airwallex and Deputy and Vend in New Zealand. And of course, other companies like Zero, which is now very much a sort of a, a global giant outside our portfolio, obviously. We're just seeing more and more of the best and brightest in Australia and New Zealand decide that they want to start high growth tech companies with the ambition of being the best in the world at what they do or, or join those businesses. And so the trajectory we're seeing is really amazing. There is some way for us to go in Australia to get to, you know, say the level that we're seeing in Israel, which is obviously a much more mature technology ecosystem. But, but the direction we're going in, the trajectory is, is really, really exciting. Just as in Israel and Southeast Asia, in Australia, we play our role as part of the ecosystem. And I got Paul to break down exactly what that is. Yeah, I think, look, we, we're, seeing, we're seeing to some extent a transformation in the Australian economy. And, and that's really, really important. The global context is in market after market, problems are being solved by software-driven businesses, whether that's in retail, whether that's in financial services, whether that's in education, whether that's in health. So, and, and the other major global phenomena is these businesses are typically winning globally, not locally. You have to be the best in the world at what you do in order to build a successful business in a lot of markets. And so that's both good news and bad news. It means that if you can build an incredible business, your addressable market is so much larger. It's not just Australia, it's the entire world. On the other hand, if you're just the best in Australia, if, if you're the best Australian search engine or you're the best Australian music streaming service, you're not going to have a viable business. In a lot of these markets, they're won by global players. And therefore, it's critically important that Australia produce more and more businesses like Deputy and, and Airwallics and Canva and Rocked, companies that can be the best in the world at what they do. And, and that direction that we're seeing, we're seeing more and more of these companies get produced. We're seeing more and more incredibly talented people say, that's what I want to do with my life. That's what I want to do with my career. 
And so it is really, really exciting. Of course, there's a lot more we need to do. All the actors in the ecosystem, it's about founders, it's about talented people who join those businesses, it's about accelerators and incubators, it's about venture capital funds and other investors, it's about government policy. And so a lot of those elements are much more positive and favourable than they were you know, eight years ago when we started our journey, you know, back in 2012, which really was the rebirth of the, the VC industry in Australia. But we do have a long way to go. You know, the role, the, the role of, of that we're playing in Australia, I think is, is twofold. Obviously, we want to back amazing founders from very, very early in their journey. We want to support them. We want to partner them. We want to mentor them as much as possible. We want to really, really help them on their journey in whatever way they're looking for help and input from us. That might be around helping them find new team members. It might be around, might be around prospective clients or prospective partners. It might be around the challenges of scaling, but it's very much based on the needs of those founders, not some sort of cookie cutter approach. I think the, 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 the second point, Imo, that's, that's really, really important is that, you know, when we started our journey and, and similar for, for other VC funds in Australia, you know, you could back companies at a seed stage, you could back companies at a series A, maybe a series B, but the ability to back companies right through their life cycle is really, really limited. And, and so our ability now to continue to support our portfolio companies and invest in them four, five, six times over a six or seven or eight year period is really, really enhanced. Our funds are larger than they were. Our, our limited partners, our key limited partners, such as Host Plus and Australian Super, are really, really keen to invest alongside us in co-invest type arrangements. So you bring to bear their financial resources, which are obviously enormous. And so that means that we can continue to support our portfolio companies as they grow larger and larger, which is really, really important because these companies are pursuing global opportunities. They need more capital to grow. And it's important that they know that the shareholders who are coming on board early in their journey, maybe to seed stage round or a series A round, can continue to support them, you know, through the series B and series C and D and E, et cetera. And that's been a big change in the Australian venture capital ecosystem in the past year or two. Similar to other ecosystems, the type of founders and companies we're seeing here is shifting. And that is so exciting. Yeah, look, it's been, I, I think the, the range of businesses that we've invested in Australia has been, has been pretty broad. And, and that reflects a broadening and a maturing of the Australian technology ecosystem where we're just seeing more and more great founders across a, a pretty diverse range of areas. And so we've invested in Q Control and quantum computing led by Mike Bierce and, and a pretty amazing team out, out of Sydney as an example. We've invested obviously in, in SaaS businesses and Australia has an amazing pedigree in SaaS businesses. We've invested in marketplace businesses like HealthMatch. And again, we have a great pedigree in this country in marketplace businesses. Financial services is an area where Australians sort of punch above their weight globally. And we're seeing that in businesses like Athena and, and Zella, companies that are very, very strong in, in the whole fintech area and really, really disrupting very, very large markets. In healthcare is another area we're very focused. Education is another area where Australia is, you know, a really, really large player globally. And so we are seeing more and more great companies across a whole range of, of, of different markets. And those map, 
you know, pretty well to the areas where as a team we have, you know, experience and background as, as founders and operators. And that really enhances our ability to work with and support those teams. And just as things are shifting in their ecosystem in Australia, so too have they been shifting at Square Peg. 2020 has been in, in a lot of respects, you know, the the most important year since, since we started in 2012. And that's been for two broad reasons. One is we've, we've really validated the faith of our investors by returning, you know, a large, a large amount of, of capital to our investors. We've now invested, returned close to 600 million Australian dollars to our investors, which is great validation of, of the faith and confidence they showed in us. The other thing that's been the, the big milestone for, for 2020 has been really, really strengthening our team. It's you know been fantastic, you know, in Australia to have people like James who, who ran previously Startmate. A lot of people know James Tynan, Casey who came from Uber and she joined us earlier this year. But also on the operating side, people like Luke as CFO and and Michelle and Tim and Tom have joined us in our operations team. And then in Tel Aviv, where we've strengthened the team with with Orly joining us, with Yonatan joining us, in in Singapore. We've had Peruse join us as a partner. She came from Stripe um, and was running Stripe in Southeast Asia um, and Hong Kong previously. Uh, we've had Ed join the team. We've had Paula join the team. And so there's been a real strengthening of the team. Not only have we got more team members, not only have we got a critical mass in our core geographies of Australia and New Zealand, Israel and Southeast Asia in each of those markets, but each of those people bring to bear a different set of experiences and expertise, whether or not in the case of Yonatan in the area of blockchain, whether in the case of insurance tech with, with Orly, in data and analytics with Casey, in education, in education with, with James, in financial services with Peruse. And that's really, really exciting to have so many new team members to bring to bear just such great insights and such great experiences and a whole range of different markets. I want to finish today with insights from Leela, our head of distribution. Leela looks after fundraising and investor relations for us and has a reputation for being the highest energy member of our team, while also having such empathy for founders as they go through their fundraising process, as it's something she's intimately connected to for us. I asked her to explain what investors into venture capital firms are looking for. First and foremost, it's returns. Like venture capital top quartile returns are the best returns um, versus top quartile of other asset classes. So it's the hope to get those venture capital top quartile returns, um, but also the exposure that they're getting to tech. But if you're investing in tech VC, people understand the unbelievable tech trends that are happening globally and that venture is the way to get into those as early as you can. Um, and so they, they view, view this as like a really great exposure to get that early stage tech into their portfolios. And then the other point is, is it's quite uncorrelated to other asset classes. So most people have listed equities as the dominant risk factor in their portfolios and venture capital is actually shown to be slightly negatively correlated to listed equities. So it's that, you know, uncorrelated um, exposure, which they also like. And finally, it's, you know, people are looking at their portfolios, they're seeing a lot of big incumbents that are low growth or being disrupted. And so they view venture as somewhat of a hedge against the, the low growth or the disruption that they're facing in other parts of their portfolio. There's a few really key things, but I think the one that is similar to what we look for in founding teams and that they look for in venture managers is the team. Who's the team behind the name? 
um, and understanding how they work and their philosophy for investments and their investment process and their networks. So that's really, really crucial for them to get to know us as a team. The other thing is returns, track record. How have you performed? You know, we've now built a really strong track record with longevity, having just raised our fourth generation of funds. So we're proving out our goal of trying to be a multi-generational venture capital firm. And they look at our track record and they can see now that we're top quartile across our portfolio. And I'd say we were chatting the other day, just looking back how grateful we are to our early investors in SquarePeg who backed us when there was no or limited track record and it was just on the team and just on the story. And we're so happy now to be delivering them really really good returns. But building trusted relationships takes time and we thought it would be helpful for other VCs and founders to hear what that relationship building looks like in practice for us. If I talk about the the, the institutional investors that have joined us for the first time in this fundraise, almost all of them I've been speaking to since I joined SquarePeg a little over three years ago. And, and some of them, the team have been speaking to before I joined. So these are really long-term relationships that we need to build. And in, to, in terms of like who we're speaking to, we're speaking to like their heads of private equity, their private equity team, because usually venture capital fits into their private equity portfolio. We're then speaking to um, their chief investment officer, who the heads of private equity report into. You're then figuring out, does their CEO need to be involved? Um, does their board need to be involved? What can we do to help educate on the asset class? Because to most institutional investors in Australia, venture capital is still pretty new, um, or they may have invested you know, 10, 20 years ago and, and maybe not had a great experience. So it's, it's whether or not they want to get back into it. And so it's educating on firstly venture as an asset class. So the points we talked about on they're looking for returns and low correlation, and then it's, and then it's us. And so the education piece on team but also our regions um, so that's why we did a trip we've done now two trips to Israel because Israel's so unique for you know Aussie investors um, trying to really understand the sophistication of the market that we see over there and there's just no better way to do it than getting there on the ground and we do we've done a couple of tours with the host class board and then with a bunch of our other investors and you go and you see Every, everyone in the ecosystem, it's, you know, it's the universities, it's the government agencies, it's incubators, it's startups, it's the multinational corporates like Google and Microsoft that have big presence there. And that helps bring to life for people just how much Israel is focused on tech and that all the best and the brightest go into tech. And so it's one thing for us to say that to investors, that's another thing for them to see it. We did a similar thing in Australia. Last year, we took a bunch of investors on an Aussie tech tour because we wanted to show them the same thing as what we're seeing. We're seeing this huge velocity of people starting to join tech or they've been in more mature tech businesses in Australia and are going to some of the earlier stage ones and just trying to show them like the vibrancy that we see um, and how much we think it's a great opportunity set. I think it's you know better conveyed sometimes actually just getting them to hear it from the horse's mouth rather than just us. So we've tried to think creatively because it's not straightforward. People think there's heaps of funding pouring into venture capital, but the reality is Australia is still behind on a venture capital funds per capita or per GDP um, versus most other OECD nations. And so, yes, it's increasing, but it's off a low base and we can definitely do with more. And so a lot of my role is not just dealing with our existing investors, it's trying to educate the broader market. This is venture capital, but this is venture capital in our regions. And this is why we're excited about it in our regions. And it's 
picking who are the right people, those organisations to have those conversations with and, and who needs to be brought on the journey because it's no cookie cutter method. Like what works for one super fund isn't necessarily what's going to work for another. So it's, it's really getting to know the people um, and what they require. Speaking of who our investors are and what they require, Leela wanted to share the news on who's invested in the new funds. In terms of who our investors are, it's our team. We, we all commit to the fund. We commit to all of our funds. It gives us great alignment with our investors and also the founders um, that we're investing in. Next is a bunch of tech founders who are looking to give back to the next generation of tech winners. And then we've got a group of institutional investors. So Host Plus have been really long-term investor of ours. We've, we're very fortunate to have them. We've got a great relationship. Um, we've also got Australian Super who have invested in this fundraise, which is terrific. Rock Partners, who are the advisor to a bunch of institutional investors, have come on board. And then we've got a couple of others, including, including corporates. CBA, which is terrific. And then the vast number of our investors is actually a big group of family offices, university endowments, and and individuals that we know through personal or advisory networks. I couldn't finish Leela's segment without mentioning that just a week after closing the fund and a day after recording this conversation, Leela had her first child, Mackenzie, and we are so thrilled for her and Chris and send them our biggest congratulations and love. No fundraising process is simple, but being heavily pregnant adds a whole new dimension <laughs> to the time frame and talk about a hard deadline. So that's it for our conversation with Leela, Paul, Dan, and Tush. Thanks for tuning in to hear this special episode of the series. We'll catch you soon. 